an ordained minister has decided to give up God for a year. How the heck do you just up and become atheist after being a pastor? What I'm most worried about right now is figuring out how I can live openly and honestly. I am finally free to be me. I have no idea how to find friends or become a part of a community that's not religious. What does life look like after church, after religion, after God? That's, you know, that, that's it in a nutshell. This is the Life After God podcast, a conversation on the space between belief and unbelief and beyond with your host, Ryan Bell. Hello and welcome back to the Life After God podcast. My name is Ryan Bell and I'm your host. This is episode 80. We're inching our way towards 100 episodes and I am so excited about this installment. My guests this week, yes, guests, are the co-hosts of Inciting Incident podcast, Marissa Alexa McCool and Bethany Futrell. We had a wide-ranging discussion, which I'll say more about in just a minute. But first, let me say thank you to a few people and let you know about some things that are currently available. As always, this podcast is made possible by the patrons of the show who contribute monthly in any amount to make this podcast and the rest of the work I do with Life After God possible. Since the last episode, a few new patrons have come on board to support the work, and I want to give a shout out to them. Christopher, Claire, Ryan, and Christine, thank you so much for your support for Life After God. You are doing more good than you probably realize. Here, for example, is a note I got this week from Jim via Twitter. He gave me permission to share this with you. He writes, I was turned on to your podcast relatively recently by a good friend. I've been working my way through most of them and really enjoying them. I just wanted to thank you for the awesome work you're doing and that, as I'm sure you know, it's helping a lot of people in a lot of ways. I grew up in a very Catholic family and after a long journey I didn't even know I was on, became an atheist late in my fourth year in college. Given some of the new atheism literature available to me at the time, 2005-ish, it was a somewhat lonely experience for me. Your approach to respectful, thoughtful, but honest discussion is a breath of fresh air and a much-needed perspective in the wider discourse over religion and faith. Welcome to the community, Jim, and thank you so much for your kind words. I'm passing your gratitude on to the 60-plus patrons that help make this possible. They, uh, they deserve your gratitude as well. So thank you to each and every one of you for all the ways that you support this work whether it's through a comment or sharing it with a friend, uh, writing, writing me a note or an email, it all means so much. If you'd like to write to me and tell me what this podcast means to you or share your story, please do it. You can write to me at ryan at lifeaftergod.org. And if the podcast is meaningful to you and you'd like to help keep this show on the air, please support it by becoming a patron. Just go to patreon.com slash lifeaftergod and you can make any size monthly contributions from $1 a month up to whatever the podcast is worth to you. I also want to mention that at the $5 member level, there are a range of additional benefits, including access to the Facebook group and other special events, like the one we just had this past Friday when we hosted a panel discussion entitled Facing Grief and Loss After God. Beth Roberts hosted a conversation with two licensed mental health professionals, Garrett Price, who was on episode 74, and friend of the show and sometimes guest host Brian Peck. In a twist of painful irony, the panel originally included Rachel Roth, but she had a sudden and catastrophic loss in her family 
and had to step away to be present for that. Talk about real life. So we carried on in her absence and we'll have her back for another conversation at another time. So we're thinking of you, Rachel, if you're listening to this. Um, our love goes out to you and strength to you as you face these challenges that you have in your life right now. That live conversation from Friday night is now available for members of the show. If you're currently a member, you'll get a message via Patreon and on the Facebook group. If you're not a member yet, please consider joining. It's only $5 a month. You can go to patreon.com slash lifeaftergod and become a member today. Now to my conversation with Marissa and Bethany. Marissa is a podcaster, author, performer, speaker, and an LGBT rights and atheist activist. She is a trans woman, married, partnered, and a parent. She lives in St. Paul, Minnesota with her family. Marissa graduated from the University of Pennsylvania in 2017 with degrees in English, cinema and media studies, and anthropology, while also studying theater, Shakespeare, and communication theory. She is a sought-after speaker within the atheist and humanist community and the author of eight books, including most recently a collection of queer poetry entitled Lesbian Purple Space Rainbow Mermaid Queen. In February 2016, before she came out, she started the Inciting Incident podcast, which now includes co-host Bethany Futrell. Marissa is also the co-host with Ari Stillman of The Cis Are Getting Out of Hand, a trans-specific show using humor and skits to talk about issues that the trans community faces specifically for a trans audience. Bethany Futrell is a podcaster and atheist activist with Chicago Atheists. She is the host of She Talks Atheism, and co-host, as I mentioned, of Inciting Incident, where she has been for the past two years. Please check the show notes for links to their podcasts, books, and social media, and please support them. Listen to the shows, read her books, and follow them on social media to keep in touch with all the good work that they're doing. I know I have immensely benefited from uh, being acquainted with both of them, and I look forward to sharing this conversation with you. So for the next hour or so, Bethany, Marissa, and I talk about religion— and our different relationships to religion, our various coming out experiences, and the complicated landscape of the atheist and secular community. I hope you enjoy it. Marissa and Bethany, welcome to the Life After God podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. It's actually nice to be on a show together that's not ours. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so exciting. (laughs) And I was just on your show not too long ago. So uh, here the three of us are again. Uh, so yeah, thanks for making the time and coordinating three schedules. This is, this is great. I told you, you I got tired of seeing all my friends go on your show and like, <laughs> Hey, uh, like we met. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We met, um, in Orange County last year for, uh, for some kind of a free thought, something or other. I can't remember exactly, but you were fantastic. And passionate and fiery and I was like I need to know this person <laughs> so I, I, I still say I was badly placed uh, being two out of eight and being the chick in the rainbow dress and who came out with the theatrical performance at 9 30 in the morning <laughs> well, but you woke us up and the rainbow <laughs> dress was very mood you know it was very like okay guys wake up and <laughs> act like a rainbow whatever that means so it was it was fantastic and Bethany you and I haven't had a chance to meet in person 
Um, no, I'm just along for the ride at this point. No, I'm, no I'm delighted to be invited. That's that's all I got. No, you guys are co-hosts of uh, Inciting Incident, and that's that's important. So, where I'm really glad to. Uh, it's not often I get I do a conversation uh, in this format, so I'm really excited about it. So, um, I've only in the intro uh, section given a brief account of of who you are. So let's let's start there. Let's in fact let's start with you, Bethany, and. Um, tell me a little bit about your relationship to religion. I understand you have a relationship to religion. I have a story and I don't mind telling you. Good. So um, I grew up, or I was born in Tennessee. I grew up in Kentucky. Um, my mother is still a young earth creationist. Hmm. She believes that the earth was formed in six literal days, 24 hour period days, by a literal god literally six to ten thousand years ago and i mean all of those literallys literally not figuratively i grew up with that um i was a sort of if you can be a firebrand christian i never did believe in creationism um but i was always sort of very very religious Jesus was my BFF is kind of the way I like to put it. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Um, I know to all to lifelong atheists that just sounds well, as crazy as it sounds. But it yeah, it is. It's but I crazy. get you. Like, I get you. Looking back on it, like I was not a well person. I really <laughs> like I would get down on my knees and and weep and beg God for things and like there was an entire probably eight month period at church that I, um, you know, they go around, you may not know this, when you're in youth group or when you're at church, they go around the room and they ask you for prayer requests toward the end of the night or at the beginning of the night, whenever they do their long prayer. And I asked for discernment, literally, because I didn't want to tell them what I was really after. Um, literally for a solid eight month period, I, I said, you know, I'm, I'm praying for discernment. I've never said this out loud. So this is going to be a fun one wow, right cool. here on your show. All right. You've heard it here. You've heard first, it here folks. first. Um, I was trying to figure out, I was 16 years old. I was trying to figure out whether or not it was morally acceptable to have premarital sex. Okay. Because I was 16 years old and had a libido. And you were looking for a particular answer. I was looking for an answer, and I thought that I got one. Um, and of course, I thought I got the one that I wanted. Mm. Um, not that it really made any changes to my behavior at all. <laughs> of course. Um, right? But, but yeah, no, I was one of those people. Like, if you brought up anything even remotely related to religion, I would proselytize to you. Um, and then I got sick. And uh, I was it was after college or right at the end of college, I got sick and I started sort of reading and and watching um, debates on YouTube was was what sort of did it for me. I started watching the atheist experience and I started watching debates on YouTube and realized that, you know, the Christians keep giving the same fucking arguments every fucking time. Can I curse? Yes. Excellent. The more, the better. Excellent. No, Fan-fucking-tastic. Uh, <laughs> so they, yeah, the Christians kept giving the same fucking arguments in every single debate. And atheists were coming back at them and, and agnostics and people who didn't necessarily believe that they the way they believed and kept saying, like, 
you know, I, I see your point, but here, look at it a different way. And there was always a new and different kind of perspective from the other side, which really spoke to me as a person who I considered myself at the time to be rather an intellectual. I considered myself to be a learned person. And to see the same arguments taken down over and over in so many different and interesting ways and still to have them thrown out as like realistic arguments, I I couldn't believe it anymore. And so now I'm me. So just to because that was a quick shift from Jesus is my best friend to watching atheist debates on YouTube. So something about you being sick made you sort of question your faith or how did you begin to question I should I should specify um, when I was in college, freshman and sophomore year, I was in a Christian band and something it was like a Southern Baptist church. And someone there said something about women not being allowed to speak in church. I don't remember the exact thing that happened, mm. but I was like, well, fuck you, too. And I never went back. Um, and I would go to church with my mom when I was back home from college but otherwise i just wasn't going at all yeah so Um, you just kind of outgrew it it sounds like you kind of some of it just started making not not making sense anymore and then these sort of very direct attacks on like your identity in a way like yeah my my identity as you know someone who was assigned female at birth mm, and so mm. you know they determined what a woman should be and they determined what i should look like and do and act like um they were very against me being pansexual and so i couldn't come out um it was just it you're right in that it was both slow and quick. Mm. I was over a few years. I just kind of started falling away from it. And then when I came across these these items, when I you know couldn't get up and move around, um, that was when it was just like, oh, fuck. I went from one day being like, well, maybe there's a God to the next day being like, I'm an atheist. And it was a God. liberating experience. Extraordinarily. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And Marissa, your your experience is quite different. Um, you you were telling me um, before the the show started that that you and you've told me this before that that you didn't grow up with religion. So, what is your sort of background? What is your relationship to uh, to religious life and religious practice? So, I feel like I was raised with it, and yet not raised in it. Mm. Uh, and that was because I grew up in an area of Pennsylvania, affectionately referred to as Pennsylvania. Uh, deep, deep, deep red. And there are portions of Pennsylvania, mostly between Pittsburgh and Philly, that uh, if you didn't know you were in the north, you wouldn't know you were in the north. Which uh, I lived there for a uh, a bit. What what city or what area? Uh, I was near Carlisle, Pennsylvania, about mm, 15 miles from Harrisburg or so. And, oh, did I grow up in the middle of... uh, In my area the first day of hunting season was a it was a day off school that's <laughs> how deep red the area i was in was and wow. i was a very feminine kid even before i even knew what gay or trans meant so i was bullied mercilessly i was first called a fag at 7 Whoa. like that's and I was, of course, now retrospectively, I realize uh, undiagnosed autistic because back then autistic people were only the ones who 
didn't speak or uh, showed physical signs. Uh, so they, they didn't even think about it with me. But it was a daily thing of being tormented and harassed by people. And, mm. of course, every time, you know, when I was a little older, a- anytime I would get interested in a girl, they would, you know, oh, why don't you come to my church with me? But since my parents really didn't raise me in it, it was more of an intellectual, like, curiosity and, you know, wanting to be able to spend time with my girlfriend than it was any kind of religious pursuit. And I would say I tried a couple times, but the longest time that I ever actively participated was probably two months. Mm. This is all still during high school time of of year, time of life. High school, late teens, that area. And I just, even when I was genuinely trying, I was pretty aware of the fact that I was trying to convince myself of it much more than uh, actually believing it. And Mm. I think after one particular, which um, my friend who went with me once affectionately referred to it as freak church, uh, that scared me away pretty much permanently. And I can also remember my dad uh, taking me down for baseball training uh, when I was about 13 because I was a very, very active baseball player. So I played year-round. And we we went to a Baptist church in Cartersville, Georgia. <laughs> okay. And I've never even heard uh, of Cartersville, Georgia. It's near Atlanta, and uh, it was a completely new experience for me as someone who didn't spend much time in the South. But... Uh, what that last experience didn't scare away, that did. <laughs> wow. So how is it that you weren't raised with religion? Your your folks weren't raised with religion either? Or did they my mom, My mom was a Methodist, probably still is, um, is still making apologies for the bullshit that just went down in the Methodist church. Mm. Um, but I can remember going to church at maybe five or six, and then it just kind of... It was an effort thing, if anything. Like, she just didn't bother. And much later in life, she actually expressed the lament that she didn't raise me in a religion and didn't take much more of a uh, an active approach on that. And I'm like, no, I'm glad you didn't. You let me mm. decide for myself. My dad is a self-described fatalist. Oh, wow. He'll go with my mother to church to, uh, you know, humor her or, you know, just be present. But... Like his side of the family is very, um, like, very isolated and very private. Like, they're the kind of people that when there's a death in the family, they won't even publish it for like three months. Mm. And you know, you you have funerals at the gravesite, like, like I said, like three months afterwards, and it's very hush hush. You don't talk about anything personal ever. So. That's that, that's probably the most I know about my dad's religiosity because he doesn't talk about it, and we're not particularly close anyway. So, right, yeah. So you just sort of, uh, even though you were in this very conservative, very sort of Bible Belt ish uh, part of the country, you sort of dodged the bullet in the sense that, yeah, your folks didn't really insist on it or drag you to church a lot. How did you get into? I guess the atheist community and the atheist activism, if you, it wasn't obviously in retaliation or not retaliation is the wrong word, but in like reaction to uh, being raised religious. So how did you find your way into this kind of world? 
Well, I grew up in the theater. Like, that was the only place where I wasn't just tormented. Mm. And spending time in theater, folks, you get to meet gay people. And, um, you know, I didn't know what trans was at the time. But, you know, I, I recognized that people back then even were trans. But, you know, I was there before the school even had a GSA. Mm. Um, my sister was actually one of the founding members of it. And she's four years younger than me. Um, but I got involved because as I was coming of age... Uh, the big fight about gay marriage was first starting. And I just saw all the people that were nice to me, the only people who were nice to me, the theater kids and the goths, were really upset about this. And I became a young activist mostly because of that. And Mm. I also got introduced to this comedian named George Carlin. And (laughs) I, I listened to him talk about religion, and that really started to open avenues of conversation for me which is of course where my mother expressed regret for not raising me with religion but i would say i went through a period where i wanted to learn about every religion mm-hmm. uh like 17 18 i i checked out every religious book i checked out the bible cor- the quran uh the satanic bible uh even some of the wooey stuff like I, I just tore through it i even read the necronomicon um and it all seemed like bullshit to me. So uh, besides the fact that I would attend places because I wanted to be with a girlfriend or something like that, like it just never landed with me. And the freak church I told you about was in 2004 in the midst of the Bush election, which was, of course, decided because of gay people. Mm. And I, that's really when I got into activism. And, you know, I spent my 20s not being much of an activist after uh mm, i i moved around a lot but yeah. uh when i got back into college and was at the university that trump went to for my undergrad uh that became much more prominent and you know i got introduced to atheist podcasting cuz i i had watched atheist youtube shows unfortunately not ones as good as bethany did <laughs> Uh, I <laughs> I was unfortunately introduced to the amazing atheists. Oh, <laughs> so, oh no! And you know, I watched a few of those videos when it was about religion and stuff, and it was fine. And then it started getting so anti-feminist that I'm like, eh, me, I don't think I would have participated in this. And it was another three years before my sister introduced me to the scathing atheist, and then I found out that there were actually humanist, empathetic people in the atheist community, and that's right. when I started to pay attention a lot more. Huh. Yeah. Wow. It's interesting. And Bethany, how about you? How did you go from sort of, I guess, deciding you didn't believe in all that stuff, you know, that your parents were were teaching you? Um, A lot of people, you know, come to that juncture in their life and they just walk away and they are kind of like, sometimes we say ap atheists, you know, they're just apathetic about, about, you know, they don't believe in God, but they don't really don't care to be activists. How did you get into this line of, uh, line of work in terms of, being an atheist activist podcaster. You know, you thought you were misspeaking earlier when you said retribution, but you did not misspeak. (laughs) You are correct. No, for me, I told you, I, when I was a religious person and Jesus was my BFF, I was the kind of person who would sort of redirect everything back in my life to religion And with that gone and that weight lifted off of me, I felt that it was necessary for me 
to undo some of the damage that I had done. Hmm. In addition to undoing the damage and trying to provide more truth to the universe in as much as we can know truth, um, I'm, I tend to be very interested in philosophy. I tend to be very interested in psychology. And I understood that there, there's so much that's ongoing, especially in the United States and in American society, mm-hmm. that has to do with sort of religious groups, mo- mainly subsets of Christianity, attempting to either claim that they are being harmed in some way by society or on the opposite side, basically take over society. And I wasn't comfortable with that. I was one of those people. And I I feel like, yeah, in retribution for the shit that was done to me mm. and the false sort of belief systems that I foisted on others, even up until, you know, I, I was an adult before I gave up religion. Um, yeah, it, it's it's necessary for me to speak out against those harmful things. Mm-hmm. It's necessary. I can't not. And how did you both meet to become co-hosts? Oh, you go ahead, Marissa. So I went to... A Gam Live, God Awful Movies uh, live show in Chicago. And it was the same week that I appeared on God Awful Movies. And that just happened to be a coincidence of timing. But my name was fresh on the minds of people because... That is not the case. You think it was just fresh on my mind, but you are wrong. I didn't say it was you. (laughs) (laughs) Go on, go on, go on. But going to that event, like, that was how most people recognized me. At the at the pre-show dinner, people were coming up and saying, oh, I heard you on cam this week. I'm like, you know who I am? Like, just kind of having that moment. Wow. And yeah. I'm talking to somebody, I don't even know who, but Aiden, my uh, partner, tells me that there's someone who wants to meet me, but they're a little too nervous to come over and that he, he encouraged them to do so. <laughs> and then I met Bethany. <laughs> That's that awesome. is an accurate statement. Um, I was chatting. I was trying to network um, because we were starting up um, the Chicago Atheist Society right about that time. And so I was networking at the event and happened across Aiden and, and started chatting and Aiden mentioned your name and I said, oh, my God, you know Marissa? And he lit up like a fucking Christmas tree and said, <laughs> yeah, I know Marissa. Why don't you follow me? Come over here. I'll introduce you. She will love that you want to talk to her. And I was like, okay, I'm going. Are you, are you really sure? Like, she's not, like, talking to everybody else that's not me at this event. And uh, showed up and and sort of... Aiden introduced me and we got to chatting and um, shortly thereafter, we uh, hooked back up because I think you invited Kristen and me. I had a a different show, um, which is now defunct, um, with another lovely trans friend of mine named Kristen, uh, all about movies. And so you came on our show to talk about a movie and we went on your show to talk about talking about movies. 
and <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's that's it. And how long and story. you've been doing this for? How long together now? Well, uh, I introduced Bethany as my co-host at episode 100, which was live in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, with uh, several notable names in the atheist community. Wow! But but before that, like we reviewed a movie uh, that is a notorious LGBT movie called uh, "But I'm a Cheerleader," <laughs> and Bethany and I talked so much that the episode had to be two parts long. Like the episode was longer than the movie. It's true. <laughs> And, That's a true story. Yeah, and uh, Bethany's co-host wasn't particularly interested in like social commentary and things like that. And Bethany and I are just going back and forth at it, like we've always known each other. And I, when I came out um, as transgender, um, the the litany of co-hosts that I had throughout that time, like it, the the show dynamic changed. I I started as a film podcaster too, but coming out as trans in 2016 sort of changed that dynamic and the previous co-hosts that I had weren't exactly down for that um you know getting political and being super serious and I tried several different people but after Bethany and I had that episode together um I had already invited her to the live show and it was right before I actually got her there that I invited her to be the co-host and we did the first half I did, um, I had a few different people on, and then the second half I was interviewing a former NFL player, Chris Cluey, who, if there was one man on this planet that could make me go straight, <laughs> it's Chris Cluey. <laughs> oh, yeah, I wouldn't throw him out of bed. Uh-uh. And then I introduced Bethany as the co-host, and that was July 2017. And July 15th. Oh. Ju- no, 13th. No, you're right. It was the 13th, and then we were there the next morning. So you're so, yeah. coming up on two-year anniversary here. Yep. Coming up on it. And our 100 episodes together. So <laughs> Wow, that's Pretty fantastic. Crazy. Yeah, so it's twice twice a week? No, once a week. Once um, a week. The show used to be twice a week, but okay. then... Um, I, I put it down to once a week when the top when the topics changed because it was a lot easier to talk about movies and pop culture twice a week than it was to try to talk about serious stuff twice a week because after our show like yeah. I need a cigarette and I don't even smoke. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, and it's just a lot of research too. I mean, I think it's I think one of the things that's true for me and my my show only goes every other week and then I sort of reserve the option of having a a bonus episode on the odd weeks. And I mean, I often will read an entire book in preparation for, um, you know, an interview with an author. So it's it's a lot of work, you know, a lot of prep work. I'm sure, you know, you have the same experience. I want to pose something for conversation. And uh, I'm going to apologize in advance that this might get a little rambly on my end because I'm not quite sure how to approach it. But let me let me just dive in here and see where we go. So I feel, you know, atheism being. Um, basically one very simple concept that um, atheists don't believe in the existence of any gods or any, I guess we could say even supernatural. Point of order. Yes. Atheists fail to believe in the existence of a god. If we're going to talk about rejecting the null hypothesis, at least let us talk about it in those terms. Sure. Right? Okay. Yeah, like, I, I, I tend to feel like atheism is... Uh, a kind of a strong like a more of a claim than the absence of a claim but oh see and that i've always heard it as that would be anti-theism 
So perhaps we're yeah. saying the same thing, but I mean, differently. I, yeah, we it, it may maybe. I mean, I I think there's different people that would frame it different ways, and I, I'd like to try to be as generous about definitions as I can because I don't I don't like to get into a bunch of super squabbles over over definitions, but. I, I know oh, that see, some I'm people. I'm the semantics queen. Well, then let's go <laughs> at it here. So I, so let's, yeah, let's, so let's clarify that then. So I, I feel like when I first started into this journey in 2014, and I said, you know, atheists don't believe in God. I had a lot of people say exactly what you just said to me, like, whoa, 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 atheists um, lack a belief in God, or some people don't like the word lack because it makes it sound like you're missing something important. So, oh, that, that, I like that actually not using lack because I've always just said I I taught statistics for a while and Mm. so you've got the null hypothesis and you either reject it or fail to reject it right so I just say I fail to accept I fail to reject the null right I fail to believe in a god right and yeah based on no evidence or extremely insufficient evidence or whatever so um that's fine we can we can talk about it what I'm where, where I'm headed it doesn't really matter that much which way like we go on that I've gone from being more or less ag- I would think of agnosticism as kind of being like unsure and so for me to say I'm an atheist is is more of a claim like I really don't I I feel confident in saying I don't You think there's not a god I think there's not a god yeah Okay um and and I would that's sort of it's sort of a binary yes no kind of thing for me and and I'm like no okay so um so the there's a lot of ways in to to atheism, right? So you can come in to atheism the way that you did, Bethany, and uh, have a very conservative uh, fundamentalist upbringing and then come to realize later in your life that these things don't make sense or or you can't support the claims with evidence. And so you you say no. Um, you can come into atheism the way Marissa did as a person who's essentially raised secular and but through some issues of identity and justice, um, sort of discover an activist community right that way without having needing to be religious in the first place. So, and some come in through science, you know, they're like, um, you know, they, they were Christians, but maybe, or, or maybe agnostics. And then they go to school and they want to become, you know, a biologist or a physician or a, you know, a cosmologist or an you know, astronomer or whatever. And they're like, there's no way there could be a God. So there's just all these different ways in um, to being an atheist. And I often say that atheism doesn't predict for much else. Like you, it doesn't to know no, that yeah, to doesn't. know that a person is an atheist doesn't really give you any indication uh, one way or the other or any number of different directions that a person might go. So, so my avenue into atheism was, um, it was intended to be public, but by public, I meant like maybe 20, 30 people who might read my blog. Um, and then it went really public when Hemet wrote about it. And, and I didn't even know who Hemet was. And I heard, I saw his blog the next day and I'm like, who is this guy? So, um, you know, looked him up and found out that he had a lot of followers and all of that. And I was very quickly ushered into what I would think of in 2014 as sort of the mainstream atheist activist community uh one of the first people to reach out to me was a guy named emery emery who introduced me to Penn Gillette and michael Shermer, and then i met um um i would say one of the other early people to reach out to me was matt dillahunty and then along the way i met uh seth andrews and you know that that was sort of like the way that i came into atheism i was at the last tam 
in Las Vegas where I met Randy and I met all these people because suddenly people were making a film about my experience and they wanted me to interview with all these people. I did not know who Penn Jillette was when oh, wow. I was told, you need to go to Vegas, Penn wants to have you on Sunday school. And I was like, who's Penn Jillette? And they're like, really? And I was like, yeah, I don't know who that, I don't, this is, I, you know, sorry, like I'm not the best pop culture person all the time. Like I know, I know what I know, but there's so much about pop culture that I just don't know. Um, and I looked him up and of course I realized, you know, that his billboard was like, you know, 400 feet tall on the side of a hotel. You book. never watched bullshit? Never. Come on, man. Yeah. So this well, is how nice. You can naive- tell Penn that you spoke to someone who actually knows who he is and gives a <laughs> damn about bullshit. <laughs> he he was a lot of fun to talk to. And um, and he, you know, I got to see his magic show and he's been, you know, I, it's been a long time since I've been in touch with him, but it's, he was very generous to me. And so that, so that I came in through sort of the skeptic community a little bit. And back in those days, I would never, even now, sometimes I struggle, but I would never have had the ability to sort through like atheist versus skeptic versus mm-hmm. humanist versus free thinker, like all of these different types of, of labels or secular. Um, I was just dropped into this world and I naively thought to myself, well, as a pastor, you know, I was, by the time I left, I was, you know, liberation theology, super agnostic about heaven and hell, probably basically didn't believe in heaven and hell, uh, agnostic about the divinity of Jesus. You know, I just, you know, I was basically sliding my slowly out of, out of the church. And I was, you know, criticized regularly by my denomination and by people on blogs for being into social justice, that this was a corruption of the Christian faith and that I was on my way to being an atheist. And I said, no, 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 I'm not. And then I realized they were right. I was on my way to being atheist. So I thought to myself when I came out of Christianity, these enlightened, you know, skeptics and free thinkers will certainly understand systemic injustice and <laughs> racism and sexism and homophobia. And tra- I just want to, can I just say something? All yeah. of the people that you mentioned that you were introduced to and thrown into this group of people who accepted you and, and wrapped their beautiful big arms around you and said, come on into the atheist community. Yeah. Every single fucking one of them was a white man. Yeah, they were. And, and th- that was just, so I was, yeah, it's true. I'm just saying it. No, absolutely right. You fell into that end of skepticism slash atheism. And I remember, I just, I guess I just had this notion that that their their liberation from the myths of religion would lead them to be as open minded as they claim to be, and and so I was fed some really toxic um, comments about certain individuals who I've still to this day never met some of them. Um, and I thought, well, that just doesn't set right with me, you know. Um, but I, you know, I was trying, I was new, I was a guest. Everybody, I was a sort of, everywhere I went, I was someone's guest. And I didn't want to, I, I guess I felt like I wasn't a part of the community long enough to, yet to be real critical. And I was just sort of listening and trying to learn. And at times probably going along with things that I should have been more critical about right up front. Um, it was just very bewildering and and it kind of swept me along in a current that I realize now was um yeah I was I was blinded to it right as my as someone with my own sort of biases my own 
um, privilege and, and all of that. So I, I, the light bulb went on a, a, a little ways along in this process. And I, and I was still, and I think one of the big things for me was, in fact, I know one of the big things for me was Sam Harris's podcast. So I was listening, I, I'd met Sam once here in Los Angeles and um, he was kind enough to me, whatever. And, um, and I was sort of like cautiously a fan of his show. And, and that was, it was the first time I was on a road trip up to see my grandmother. I was listening to his show and it was the first time he had Douglas Murray on. I'm sure you know it well. And he's talking to Douglas about something completely unrelated, but Douglas goes on this rant about trans people uh, and about gay people, but mostly about trans people because he himself is gay. And, and Sam is just like chortling along. You've probably heard it uh, with this commentary. And I was like, no, no further. This, this is the line. I've literally never listened to his podcast since then, except for excerpts in order to validate some point someone was trying to make or whatever. Some people will do transcripts of it. So they'll actually put the text oh, of that's good. the show online. And so if something happens on Sam Harris's podcast that I feel like I need to know about, I can read it without yeah. being a listener. Right? right. Yeah. And his, yeah. So, so that, that was for me like a reawakening. Cause I was like in, in my pulpit, I was, uh, my last series of sermons was about, I called it the five deadly sins of the church because it was during Lent and it was sort of the five weeks of Lent instead of seven. Anyway, it was like homophobia and um, uh, racism and, and consumerism. And and basically that was the series of sermons that cons- resulted in me eventually being fired from the church. And another young woman that I invited to preach during that series of sermons was also eventually fired from her role as a professor you invited a woman. Oh, there was to yeah, preach lots of lots church? and lots of church. Lots. How could you? <laughs> so I, I guess I I say all that to say I got to where I am today in a very circuitous circuitous route, and um, and I I don't know what to I don't know what else to say about that, but I'm really I'm really happy that I've found this place where I am now, and I I wonder. If you have a sense, either of you, both of you, why, what, what it is about, I guess, this community, however you want to define it, that's so susceptible to toxic um, ideology, and especially because they claim to be uh, free thinkers and skeptics about ideology, um, and I suppose maybe... We all are susceptible, of course, but it seems like there's something else that I, I can't quite put my finger on about why skeptics and free thinkers are so susceptible to not being very skeptical or free thinking. Marissa, you want to take it or you want me to jump in? Uh, you can start. <laughs> so I have some uh, hypotheses regarding this. Um, one of those hypotheses is kind of a sort of social, psychological, or anthropological perspective, wherein the people for whom it is easy to escape from religion are also the people for whom the most privilege is granted. Hmm. Right? So there's something about being a white, straight, cisgendered man that's easier to get out of religion. 
Absolutely. Hmm. Because there's not nearly as much backlash against you. If you are Hmm. a black woman, for example, Hmm. and you say you're an atheist, people look at you like you have five heads, Hmm. right? Like you just sprouted 18 tentacles and you are not a human. Hmm. If you are a woman like I grew up being told that my place was in the home that I was supposed to um, have kids and take care of my husband one day and that I needed to be meek and mild. And there are, there are very specific behavior patterns that are demanded of people that the church defines as female, right? Even though, and you can see it, I'm real fucking white. I am... I I lived it, right? I lived those demands from the people around me socially and in my family and from the church. Mm -hmm. And so it is harder for me, even a, you know, not particularly poor, not particularly, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of trouble in school. I don't have a lot of, you know, other issues. I'm white. But just being a person that the church defines as female, those things that are required of me make it harder for me to act out. Side note. Yeah. Um, I, I will say when I was growing up, when I was little, I think I was five or six years old. Um, my mother asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said I wanted to be a missionary's wife. Not a missionary. Not a missionary. I didn't know women could be missionaries. Mm, mm. I knew that there were missionaries and they had wives that went with them. And I Mm. wanted to learn languages and go places. Mm. So I think that's part of it. I think it's that anthropological part. Um, I have some other theories. I'm going to let Marissa jump in. Mm. Well, you mentioned that your last sermon was on the five major sins of the church, right? Mm. And... Just because someone figures out that they don't believe in God anymore doesn't mean that those sins necessarily go away. So when you have a lot of privileged folk coming out of church where they've had 40 years of bigotry inscribed into their tabula rasa, Mm. they don't automatically lose all their other shitty behavior just because they don't believe in God anymore. And for people who claim to be skeptics, but also stop their inquiry into their past thought at, I don't believe in God, you put a bunch of them together and suddenly they're still, ex- you know, exhibiting some of the same behaviors that they were in the church. Just now they're also congratulating each other on being smarter than everybody else. So what ends up happening is, you know, it, the, the white man is treated as the universal default in everything, and their experience isn't encountering homophobia, transphobia, racism, uh, other kinds of bigotry. And they go, well, that's not my experience of the atheist community. You just must be making it up. Hmm. And or, yeah, so, you're so overly fragile. sensitive. They didn't say that about you. Yeah. It was a general statement. Why did you take it to heart like that? So um, being at the the epicenter of the 2016 election as I was, and I came out publicly like a month before it, so I had great timing. Mm. Um, <laughs> wow. You know, That's my girl. A lot of us, uh, 
we're looking toward the atheist community, the biggest names in the atheist community, like as, uh, hey, uh, we're really terrified right now. Please help us. And a lot of them went, well, Trump's really your fault if you think about it. You know, you're a boutique issue and they got too much media attention and we should be focusing on other things rather than where people go to the bathroom and all of us. You push uh, trans trans people people too far. Yeah. Yeah. So we were what supposedly left wing people were finding in common with right wingers because there's still this portion of the left wing that is desperate to make friends with their political enemies and be like, yeah, we don't agree on much, but those trans people are weird, right? So a lot of us felt pretty alienated. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was it's just a weird. um. It, it almost feels like there's these like societal taboos that we eventually there's enough people that come along that maybe it tips to a majority, maybe a subtle majority, like 55 to 60 percent, you know, or whatever. And then all of those bigotry, all that bigotry goes to the next sort of isolated, uh, marginalized group, you know. So, you know, if it was women and then, you know. African-Americans or other people of color. And then, you know, trans people is like the, the, the people of, of du jour, you know, that are uh, all that sort of otherness is transferred onto in the most recent years. And, and it's just, uh, I, I guess I just, it's, it's hard for me to, to grasp. And I, I uh, how people um, just lack the courage of, of any sort of conviction to, um, I don't know, to, to, to draw a line in the sand on, on some things. Not everything, right? Not everything needs to be an all-out battle, but the humanity of other people seems like a pretty good uh, you know, place to draw a line. I was just having this exact conversation. This is the funniest thing. Um, so I talk to my Uber drivers. <laughs> Weirdo. It's wonderful. I, I talk to them when, you know, not when I'm feeling like shit, but... When I'm feeling up to it, I want to have a conversation with as many different kinds of people as I possibly can. These mm. people, they come from all over the world and right here in my backyard. They are from all different perspectives and religions. And and I was speaking with this guy this evening and um, on my way home. And I said, you know, he was saying basically that he thinks maybe, and he was, he, he's a Muslim guy, um, darker skin and mentioned it about himself to say, I live in Chicago. Most people, you know, that I see on the street don't say things about me or to my face. Um, but it's all kind of gone online now. Mm. And we were talking about this and uh, he said the same thing. He said, I think perhaps people are just too um, sensitive to those kinds of things. And I responded with, listen, when it comes to me as a person who has a decent amount of privilege, I mean, comparatively, like intersectionally speaking, sure, I can maybe take it if I'm traveling abroad and someone makes a comment about me being an ugly American, right? Like, I can take that shit. But if someone is sexually harassing me at work mm. or if someone is directly stating that my beautiful and wonderful co-host doesn't deserve humanity right doesn't deserve to live as the person that she is that's not something that we can just let roll off of us that's not something that we're being overly sensitive about and so i totally see both perspectives of like 
we're going to be more and more sensitized to the hate and to the, um, you know, bad behaviors of the other side when they are more and more vocal. When there's a Unite the Right rally where a bunch of white dudes Mm. carrying tiki torches shout, Jews will not replace us. Like, the more that that kind of stuff happens in the real world and not just on those deep, dark online spaces where people are physically removed from one another, the more it's happening in the real world, the more we're sensitized to it. And so it's this vicious circle, right? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, part of becoming an atheist and a humanist for me is part of the reckoning of that is recognizing that this is the one life that I have, right? There's no do over. There's no plan B. There's no going to heaven. And, you know, having all the problems erased magically somehow and living in paradise. And, you know, life, life is too short to, to, um, entertain destructive ideas and behaviors. Like I, I think there's a sense among the privileged, uh, in in certain community spaces, and you know, right now we're talking about the atheist space. So, you know, there there's a sense that you know people who draw lines like that, even around the most serious cases, are causing division, right? You know, in the community, I hear that uh, a lot. That that this is um, you know an outrage brigade or uh, a group of people who loves to. Uh, draw lines in the sand, you know, hard and fast and, and cause division. And it's, it's never that the people who are, you know, dehumanizing others are the ones causing division. It's the ones who are pointing it out and saying, Hey, this is destructive and leads to people getting like literally actually physically hurt. Um, This is not okay. Um, in a deep fundamental sense, this is not like a difference of opinion. Do you prefer Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren? This is a, you know, should people be granted the privileges of humanity? Um, I just don't, I just, I don't understand why for, for me, I guess I, I'm, I, I was raised a people pleaser. And so my tendency is to like, not want to upset people. Um, part of being raised in the Christian church and wanting to supposed to love everyone. And even if you you don't like them, you're supposed to love them. You remember? And Oh, so much. And so that's still deeply in my psyche. I think I, I really, in, in spite of some of the back and forth I get into on Twitter, I really don't like being in conflict with people. It, it messes me up inside. And, and yet I feel like there's, uh, like the issues, especially now since 2016, um, it's so much has come to the surface that there's no, there's no room for middle ground on, on so many uh, important yeah. issues. You know, um, I I told Marissa this, actually, God, was it the first time it was? Yeah, it was at um, our first live show. And I will say it again. I it took me a long time to get out of that people pleasing sort of behavior patterns and and the um, the psychological sort of constraints. But once I got out of it, I will physically put my body between Marissa and danger if that's what it takes. And when it comes to harmful rhetoric, I will put myself between that person and danger every time. Mm. And if that means me making somebody else mad, I'm down with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I love when people think that we're trying to be divisive. Right. Uh, because if there's anything the trans community 
really wants right now it's alienating more people like that's <laughs> that's really our mission is like hey we're uh, uh, you know the one uh, trans pride rally march uh, in Seattle uh, is going to be literally crashed by the fucking Proud Boys in Patriot Prayer. Uh, how about we have less people on our side? Why don't we do that? Like, yeah, it's 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 amazing to me that saying, "Hey, I'm a human too." Could you not like treat us like shit? Is seen as divisive. You know who it's divisive to? Bigots. That's why, because they just want to congratulate each other on being smarter than everybody else and not have to focus on all that other stuff that doesn't affect them. So. Just to give you an idea of the difference, um, I went on a sh- an atheist YouTube show that's, shall we say, uh, catering to a different audience, and all I did was tell my story hmm. and how what my experience as a trans person is like, and it was so bad I deleted Twitter. Wow! Yeah, that's how long why ago I'm was I'm on this? Twitter and she's on Facebook. How long ago was that? A few months. Really? Um, oh, my goodness. So yeah. did you know what you were getting into when you went on that show? Or did you just think, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna represent. You know, I'm going to go on this potentially risky show, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick up for my, my values. I, I had some inkling because of some of the guests they've entertained in the past, but I had no idea it would be that bad. Wow. I had no idea that... Even months later, people would still be commenting the most hateful, horrific shit on Facebook. And to their credit, they did eventually reach out and apologize to me after many of my friends went to that post and saw how bad it really was. And note to people, if you want to be an ally, there's a good way to do it. Um, But it was so bad just the night that that was airing that not only did I disable Twitter, I deleted the entire account just because of the amount of hate mm. that came from people who try, you know, got out of religion where that, the, where that hate supposedly only exists. So uh, it, 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 it's an awful lot like religion in the sense that they're doing the same arguments. It's just instead of uh, God said this and Jesus said that. They're like, but your chromosomes or whatever. It's the same argument. It's just cut and paste different words. Right. Yeah. I think part of it also for me and I, I don't I don't yet know. I mean, I guess we're all maturing. I know I still have a long ways to go. So I part of my ongoing struggle is to know, to, especially online uh, maybe and maybe I've just answered my own question right there. Um, how to discern the seriousness of the person I'm talking to, you know? So I, I usually try to go into most engagements with people believing that they're operating in good faith or that they would be responsive to, you know, good reason or um, even what anecdotal. What percentage of people that you've ever talked to, and I'm sorry to cut you off. No, but go really, for it. What percentage of people that you ever talked to are really willing to listen to good reason. I I don't know, like not. It's not big it's not, for me. It's yeah, and but but I guess what I have a hard time with is I, I go round and round with myself, and sometimes I'll you know bring my girlfriend in on this and be like, what could this person like? What is, I, I try to like you know this amateur psychoanalysis, like what could be motivating them? What could be like they're just 
you know, I get the troll and there maybe is some lulls in, you know, being a troll or whatever. Maybe they get their get off on that or or they I, I just it just blows my mind because I'm such a person. I'm a person who's so hungry to understand the world. Full stop, I guess, just period. I'm just hungry yeah. to understand the world. And and I guess through my own education or luck, I've I've come to the conviction that my view through these two eyes and these two ears and and all the rest is not enough to get an accurate assessment of the world as it exists um that it's a very limited view of the world and in order to round out my experience of the world i need other people to share with me what they see and what they hear and what they experience and and not just a few but lots and lots and lots of those and so i'm i'm constantly like if i say something and you're and and you were to say well, like you just did a minute ago, like, well, that's not from, you know, the, my understanding of, of that topic or okay, I'm like, oh, OK, well, what do you mean by that? You know, I'm just curious, like I'm, you know, and words are limited, right? They're just symbols that we use to, you know, connote meanings. And and I just I'm, I guess I'm I marvel that people are not more intellectually curious. I think there's some of that, that people, especially and, and we're coming back to the atheist communities kind of perspective because when you feel that you've gotten the god question right especially if you are of a privileged group you tend to i don't know if you feel larger than life or invincible but there's a certain amount of i got this right so i must be right Mm. right like i my perspective on this thing i got correct by by doing this thing. So I'm going to apply my own personal brand of, say, skepticism to everything and come up with the way I think about that particular thing. And that's how I'm going to see the world. And those things have to be right because I got the God question right. And Feeling I know that was kind of superior to others is addicting. Right. And do you think, what percentage, again, we're just totally spitballing here, but how much of that do you think is conscious? That people are thinking, okay, I'm constructing this worldview for myself and this doesn't fit, so I'm going to... Like, and how much of it is just blind, like, I guess, b- bias, conf- confirmation so, bias? Here's a really good example, and it comes from the Me Too movement. This is an excellent example. So many, mostly cishet white men in the skeptical and atheist communities during the height of Me Too, mm. we're stating that um, we can't accept the information. Like, why would you say believe the women? Um, it, it doesn't make sense. We have no evidence for this uh, yeah. event, right? Yeah. And so my point on this is a portion of it is is conscious. They genuinely believe that they have applied skepticism appropriately to the world around them and i think the other part of it is it is unconscious bias right so if i say believe women right when when mm. we're talking about the me too movement mm-hmm. what i mean by that is don't immediately write off what a person is telling you about their assault or harassment or whatever event just because 
you've heard it all before, or the person is female, or the person is trans, or the person is non-binary. Or they're crying while they tell you and seem upset. Or they're crying while they tell you, or or they remember another piece of the puzzle a week later and tell you that additional piece of information. Right. Just because a person is providing you with this information and is telling you this story, don't immediately write them off because of those other pieces of information about them or about the situation, which might cause you to have bias. Mm. What they hear when I say believe women is every single woman, not not trans person, not non-binary person, not man, every single woman who comes forward is telling the truth. And that's, of course, not what we ever meant. Right. It's yeah. Nobody's ever always accepting telling that these things are real. Right. Yeah. You take right. them seriously. You take their account as an account of something that they experienced. Right. And it's entirely possible that there's more to it than they're telling you or that there's something else going on. And that's totally acceptable. And you don't have to believe every single thing that ever comes out. But take us seriously is right. all that means right yeah and that's not what they heard they heard by this story being told to me i have to accept every piece of it as as literal truth mm. and believe every woman who comes forward regardless of situation regardless of how many other people have come forward about this person um and that's just never what we've said so i think they take things to a very literal place with their skepticism right. yeah and and that's there's more to it than that. I think that's just a really good example of of yeah. So, so I couldn't tell you a percentage, like what percentage of the time or what percentage of the perspective is built by that. But I think that's a good example, at least. Mm, yeah, I think so. Then we also have my perspective of uh, which I addressed in the speech that you saw, Ryan, mm. which is that we are raised in hella transphobic culture. Uh, go watch a comedy before 2015. Mm. <laughs> like, pick one. Any. Any of them. Yeah. Um, it's mm. it's such an... E- it was such an easy punchline for so long that that's the only definition that most people have of us is either we're a joke mm. or we're a serial killer and killing people because of our deranged mental illness. That makes me so mad. Or, oh my God, that's a man in a dress. That's weird. And when that's the only representation not called the Rocky Horror Picture Show that we've ever had, like people internalize that and they internalize it a lot. And where they internalize it the most tends to be dating because they, men especially, have been told that the worst thing that could ever happen to them is that they find out their date has a penis. And that, of course, is our sole mission as trans people is to trick men into wanting to kill us for, quote-unquote, lying about who we are. Mm. And they want us to identify ourselves up front uh, no matter what because they don't want to accidentally be attracted to us and therefore, quote-unquote, trapped because you, life isn't dangerous for us at all. We're not no. trying to not right. get murdered constantly. We're, we're just going to roll that dice because, oh, my God, wouldn't it be funny if? And it's just such a, a dick-centric point of view. Yeah, literally. That it's, that it's like, we want, we want your dick so badly that we're going to trick you into believing we're something we're not 
just for you. Yeah. Right. And if you do happen to trick them and they do become attracted to you, all of a sudden their reaction to it, regardless of what it is, if it's shouting at you or calling you names or harming you or killing you, that's all validated because you tricked them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Trans it- panic is still legal in 48 states. Really? Yeah, Jesse Single, uh, signal, signal, single, signal, whatever, posted some stupid crap on Twitter today about dating, and uh, just I reposted it with some comment. It didn't really get much attention, but there's so much of it out there, and so much so nor- normative, um, sort of heteronormative and cis normative type of thinking. And again, to me, this is where skepticism would come in, right? Like if you were serious about being a skeptic, you would say to yourself, uh, you would see something or hear something you, and your internal impulse would be, ew. And you would think to yourself, now, wait a second, that impulse to go, ew, is just a reaction. Maybe it's not informed. Maybe you know, I need to think about how I've been, re- you know, all of that, right? All that self-analysis, all that thinking, um, that we are supposed to be doing. Um, but it just seems like, no, that just gut level reaction to something we don't understand or don't know about or have been misled or lied to about for years and years and years or made the punchline of a joke, as you were saying, just becomes the thing that it's super comfortable to just go with it. Um, because that narrative kind of reinforces uh, the normative, normative nature of my, my own existence. Well, we're we're kind of running to the end of time, and I don't want to end on this note. So, um, <laughs> what I what I want to ask you both to reflect on is what you do. How do you survive in these Trump years? Like, how do you? What do you do to for joy, for for pleasure, for love, for for happiness? How do you keep your mental health? Not that you always do. None of us probably always do. We all we all have our shitty shitty days. But how do you? What do, you, what, what do you go for when you're like, okay, I need some uplift? Well, first of all, I have one show that just makes fun of all the cis people. So it's, it's fun to get a little back. Um, <laughs> I call it trans happy hour. And uh, the whole point of it is we're not going to stop to define shit for you. We're just going to make fun of you. Uh, and tease you because, oh, it, it, you don't like it so much when it's in your direction, do you? I want to listen um, to that. Yeah. Uh, so the, the show name is The Sister Getting Out of Hand. Uh, so you pretty much know what you're getting into. Um, interestingly enough, I was just at Queer Prom and a total stranger came up and was introduced to me and said, oh, she kind of reminds me of Marissa Alexa McCool. <laughs> and, and I was like, hi, uh, I am that person. <laughs> it turned out she, she was a former patron of the show. Oh, and it was wow. just one of those small world moments. But um Outside of that, like outside of weekly shit posting with one of my very best friends in the world, Ari Stillman, and uh, reviewing how depressing things are with my current co-host and company, um, I go to the zoo all the time. Oh like, wow! I um I I'm really into photography, and I'm really into animals. So especially lately, my escape has just been going to the zoo and taking pictures of animals. And I also do the same thing. Uh, I live in Minnesota and up in Duluth, uh, which is about two and a half hours north of the Twin Cities. 
uh, is a harbor town and Lake Superior and like all that area, mm. the, the national forest, the lake and everything. I like to go take pictures there and especially of my favorite animal, the loon. Uh-huh. And I sometimes even track them in a kayak. So those are a couple of my favorite ways to disengage and just think about cute animals for a while. Um, I read a lot. I have uh, multiple loving partners who have to see everything that I deal with and yeah. uh, try to comfort me from it. And some days that's easier than others. And other than that, I get a lot of pleasure out of all the people who reach out to me mm. because I would say someone comes out to me in my inbox once a week, wow. maybe more. So yeah, knowing huge. that the bullshit I yell into a microphone or have written in a book or anything else has mattered on that level. Um, I won't say it makes it entirely worth it because there are some days where I delete Twitter because people are awful. Right. But knowing that someone's alive because of something I said or someone picked the name that I suggested for them or recognizes me at prom, like those moments (laughs) make it a lot easier to sift through the utter bullshit that we're dealing with right now. Oh, I love that. I mean, I just love, yeah, everything you said just is uh, so, so great. I also just released a book of shameless gay love poetry called lesbian purple space rainbow mermaid queen. Uh, so that's an, that's my eighth book. Nice. And it's just full of super fucking gay poetry. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. And at the end we'll review where we can find all of your goodness. Yeah. Bethany, what about you? How do you, uh, how do you survive? Okay. You promise you won't make fun of me. I promise. I mean, I might chuckle. You're telling lies. What if I chuckle Um, with you? I'm a gardener. <laughs> oh, that's oh I do that too. That's beautiful. Um, so I have here, and the listeners cannot see it because this is a podcast, so haha. Um, I have here a giant uh, bird's nest fern that I'm madly in love with. Sent a picture of it to my sister because I'm just so proud of it. I've gotten it so big and beautiful. And she said, it looks so beautiful, it almost looks fake. Um, but it is oh. real. It's a live plant. Um, I... Gardening is one of those things that for me kind of ties me to something alive that is in no way, in absolutely no way related to Donald Trump or the the, the shit that's going down or politics Mm. or uh, hateful people on the Internet or discrimination or any of those things when I am planting and I, <laughs> I stopped wearing gloves to plant cause I actually kind of like getting the dirt under my fingernails. Mm. I'm, I'm physically interacting with a living thing and helping that thing to grow and flourish. But that thing has absolutely no ties to the harmful things and the harmful people around me. So that's, that's one thing that is, and I've said that on our show before. That's one thing that's really personal for me. Um, and if I can just encourage your listeners to find that thing that is that is their heart, right? Like gardening and, and my I have two cats, probably heard them at the beginning of the show. They were meowing at me. Um, <laughs> they are in no way tied to the horrible people around me. 
And so when I get home from a long, hard day at work, where in addition to all of the shit that I have to deal with at work and all the craziness going on in my life, there was also terrible news or another mass shooting or something terrible. I sit down and I transplant a plant or I curl up with my cats and we watch really interesting things on TV. Um, I'm also rereading the Constitution, which I think, um, and I will say I'm rereading it. I did read it before. Um, It's been a few years. I feel like if I am, especially for 2020, if I am expecting the people whom I want to represent me to know our laws Mm. and to have done this, then I should have also done this. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I'm refamiliarizing myself with the Constitution, which is really interesting. Um, quick note. I'm not sure if people know this. The fifth sentence in the, the Constitution is actually the three fifths compromise. And that's if you include the preamble. Um, so that's way up there. Get past that real early and then get into the better stuff. Um, interesting. That's a good point. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know that I've actually sat down and read the Constitution or the, it, bill, or the Bill of Rights since I was in school. like, And I'm talking yeah. about like high school, not college and after. <laughs> yeah, do it. Seriously. Actually, um, and again, if this is something that your listeners want to try, just Google U.S. Constitution. And one of the top results is the U.S. Constitution's webpage where they have it all transcribed. And the really cool thing is they have all of the portions that have been amended linked to their amendments oh nice so you can so it's read all it together kind of in, yeah yeah in it's contrast. not that long right i mean it, you could read it in an evening well it, if you're going to read the constitution and the bill of rights and all of the amendments thereafter it takes a while okay but um but yeah no i'm i'm going through it kind of slowly and methodically totally. and and refamiliarizing myself with the founding document of my country because i feel like I'm not comfortable living in a country where all of this is is going down. I'm not comfortable living in a country where we let people die of preventable illness. I'm not comfortable living in a country where, again, white men can bounce around with tiki torches and shout terrible things about minorities. Um, Or where my co-host feels uncomfortable going to the bathroom in like half of the country or more. I'm not comfortable with those things and I'm not leaving. So right. we need to do something to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. And even where the constitution is, is not adequate, you know, there's, you know, it's been amended before and uh, it may need to be amended in the future. It's a living, a living document, but right. To be familiar with it, to know kind of what we're starting with, you know, to say, yeah. you know, just for someone to say, well, that's legal. So, and like, we'll just, you know, lots of things have been legal in the past <laughs> that are no longer legal. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a great point, especially when so much has been done in recent years to undermine, um, the constitution. Um, yeah, I, I, I resonate so much, both of you. And I noticed this about people that I talked to about this topic. Both of you mentioned something about being outdoors and in nature or, plants or living other living things cats and uh loons and lakes and rivers and trees you know i just i think that this is so key uh to what it means to be human and to really tap into our core humanity is uh to be you know outside of the four walls of whatever building we happen to be in at the moment and and um kind of reconnect with uh a, a wider world that 
is unaware of Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell yeah. and all the rest of those shitheads. So um, I love that. I love I love um, I do the same. I love I love to cook. You know, cooking for me is probably same. what gardening is like for you. Probably like I just I sort of temporarily forget that there's something to be worried about. Um, you know, for and for me, it's it is unplugging like that and just saying, okay, it'll be there in a minute. I'll get back to it. You know, I'll, my girlfriend's out of town, and I said to her on the phone the other day, I said, you know, I, while you were out of town, I watched um, uh, When They See Us, uh, the four part documentary about the Central Park Five, and yeah, and uh, I, I said, I figured you may not have wanted to, you know, endure that with me, and. Um, and she, she, you know, she may get around to it, but it was, it was like labor, you know, it was like re- serious labor to watch that. It was beautifully done, amazing. I highly recommend it to everyone. Um, it, it happened the year I graduated from high school, and I, I knew quite a bit about. Uh, contemporaneously, I knew a lot about Tiananmen Square, which happened that year. I knew about the fall of the Berlin Wall that year. I didn't know, you know, humble confession. I didn't know that much. Uh, growing up about the Central Park Five case, and um, and it's uh, it's a brutal reality. So I mean, I think we can't just hide our heads in the sand, and the, the three of us are in no danger of hiding our heads in the sand. Um, but but to to get our head to once in a while put our heads in the sand and enjoy uh, something that makes us happy is is so crucial to to being healthy. And um, just happy to hear your your both of your stories about how that works for you. Yeah, okay. we both have loving partners, I think, is is part of it, too. Big deal. Um, yeah. We have, Big. even if it's the family we've chosen, yep. it's the family that's there um, and and loves us and cares for us. I, I think that's the, the other part of it is connecting with something that's outside of those four walls, but also connecting with the really important things that are within those four walls. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Final thoughts, where we can, uh, final final reflections, and then where we can connect with you and, and the work you're doing. The best thing I can say is if someone doesn't have your experience, listen to them. Mm. Whether it's a trans person, whether it's someone of a different ethnicity, whether it's someone who came out of a different religion to atheism, whether it's in any way, listen. And try not to get defensive. If you have a defensive reaction, ask yourself why that bothers you so much. Mm. If if someone has a different story because they're, say, a black woman coming out of the church you, and you're a white dude, probably not the same story. We learn from each other and we have to get out of the idea that what we experience is the only way that it happens. So... If something makes you feel defensive, that's when you need to pay attention the most. Mm, That's solid gold right there. If you're looking for a way to take part and you don't have any idea how to do it, you say to yourself, I am a cishet white dude, but I care about what's happening to the people around me. And intersectionally speaking, the people who are more marginalized than I am. Or if you are a marginalized person who has more privilege than someone else, weaponize your privilege for good. Mm. And that means when you are at work and you hear someone tell a joke that is insensitive or harassy or harmful to a marginalized people, don't just chuckle along. Don't be Sam Harris. Don't be what's-his-face that was on the Access Hollywood with Trump. Right. Be an ally 
in the spaces where maybe there's not even a trans person or a black person or a woman or a person who's marginalized more than you are, even in the room with you. Start in those places and weaponize your privilege for good. And that's a way to at least start being the right kind of ally and the kind of ally that we really, really need you to be right now. Perfect. Beautifully said. Thank you both so much for coming on the show uh, tonight. I appreciate your insights and sharing so vulnerably. And I will put in uh, the show notes um, links to where we can find your your books, Marissa, and your podcast. And I just want to thank you, Bethany and, and Marissa, for taking the time to, to talk to me tonight. And I highly encourage all of you uh, to, to check out their podcast, Inciting Incident, and all of the other uh, podcasts. And I, I do mean all the other podcasts um, that they are involved in. Thanks again so much. Thank you. It was our pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in and sharing a portion of your day with me. If you want to learn more about the Life After God community and all the things we're doing, there are a lot of ways to do that, starting with our website, lifeaftergod.org. There you will see links to all of our social media and the Patreon page, which is one of the main ways I stay in touch with fans of the show, both those who are patrons and those who aren't. So follow me on Patreon, whether you can support the show financially or not. I can't emphasize enough how grateful I am for all of your support, listening, sharing, writing in, and participating in the conversation. If you have any questions or want to be more involved in the Life After God community, please email me at ryan at lifeaftergod.org. I'm especially grateful for a new producer of the show, Christopher. Thank you for your support, my friend. Until next time, my name is Ryan Bell, and this has been the Life After God podcast. 